Welcome to the Wine and Gold Talk podcast on a Monday night just after 7 o'clock. Chris Fedor, Joe Varden with you. We got a lot of questions that we got on Twitter, so we'll get into those towards the end of the podcast. Uh, But Joe, this is a big week for the Cavs. You've been asking a lot of the players about it. Toronto tomorrow night, you've got the Washington Wizards Thursday, and then on the road against Philly, second game of a back-to-back. Even without Joel Embiid, the way that Ben Simmons is playing, the way that the 76ers are playing, that's certainly a challenge for the Cavs. What do you make of of this week coming up for this team, and, and how important do you think it is? Well, I'm really excited about this week because... Um you know, if you can try your best to ignore what happened on Sunday with <laughs> Dallas and, yeah. and and look at this from a, a broader perspective, they're really playing pretty well, and um, they're scoring a ton of points, and some nights they even defend a little bit, mm. um, and, you know, they've just been winning a bunch of games, and so now you're in a week that's really like a playoff week. I mean, everybody that you're playing is in the playoffs, They've all clinched. I think. I think that's true. Um, yeah, it's definitely mm-hmm. true. And, th- and then, uh, the, like you mentioned, the, the Sixers. You got to play them on the second night of a back to back, and the Sixers are on your heels for third place. Um, so these games really matter. And um, I, I feel like if the Cavs can win two of these games, it, it tells me that they are indeed ready to roll uh, for the playoffs. Um, the following weekend. So, uh, I, I think this is great. Um, you know, it, it does seem like, uh, while they can't exactly get healthy, they are starting to kind of round into shape in terms of playing the best, and maybe getting some important guys playing better than mm. they have been. Um, and I just, I really want to see it against these, these three teams. Okay. So last night, um, following the ugly win against Dallas, and that's how Kevin Love classified it. He said it was ugly and sometimes you just have to win ugly. He was asked whether the third seed even matters. And he went to the stock answer of, we would like to finish as high as we can to establish whatever type of home court or just being in the right position for us as far as seeding goes this week will be very telling for us. And we look forward to the challenge. If you're the Cavs, should... Should they want the three seed? Is that something that you think would be beneficial for them? And if so, why? Yeah, I mean, I still do. And I know, you know, we've talked about this before. I'm, I'm still of the belief that um, this team needs as much time as it can. And I feel like Boston, which I believe will be in the two in the two seed, mm-hmm. um, I, I, I believe that they are a uh, more favorable matchup for the Cavs. Okay. Now, I, I have been watching... Boston win every game without <laughs> any of their players, so <laughs> yeah. I'm aware. <laughs> I'm aware this is happening, um, but I still just feel like personnel-wise, that's a better matchup for the Cavs. So um, I, I think the three seed matters. I also just think uh, you want to give yourself as much chance to be at home as you can, mm-hmm. um, and so you know, uh, fr- from those perspectives, like three or four matters. Uh, certainly over five or six, and I just, um, you know, I, I think it's important to set some goals for yourself. Uh, the Cavs would certainly have seemed to not hit very many of them so far. They've got the biggest one at the end in June. But it would be nice for them to say, okay, we are going to do this 
mm-hmm. um, and and to get it done. I think that's a nice way to to to, to head into the playoffs. You know, and, and all that being said, we we have just been taught this time and time and again that almost nothing that happens now within mm-hmm. re- within reason um, can can mean anything come come playoffs, especially when you have LeBron. And so, as long as that man is upright. Um, it's not the end of the world if they don't make it, mm-hmm. but it's just, I, I think it would be great uh, for a lot of reasons, um, most of them that we've just touched on, to, to get this done and, and, and hang on to that third seed. I think there's another layer to it too, Joe, because right now if you look at the standings, it's Toronto 1, Boston 2, the Cavs 3, and then Philly 4. Um, and the more and more I watch Philly, and they've won 10 games in a row, um, and Joel Embiid is going to be back in time, it seems like, for the first round of the playoffs. And the way that Ben Simmons has continued to grow, and the pickup of Ersan Ilyasova, I think, was huge. And I think the pickup of Marco Bellinelli, two veteran guys that have been in the postseason in some big games throughout the course of their careers. Like, having those guys to complement the youngsters in Philly that have never been there, that haven't been in those big-type environments... I think that's big for the 76ers. So I have felt from the very beginning that Toronto is the Cavs' biggest threat in the Eastern Conference. I stand by that. Um, If Philly hangs at number four, there is potential for Philadelphia to do the Cavs' dirty work and knock out Toronto before the Cavs would even have to face the Raptors. Now, I'm not saying Philly's definitely going to beat Toronto if they match up in the second round. But I think the 76ers going into that series and then the Raptors going into that series, all the pressure on Toronto, no pressure on the 76ers, almost like we've never been here before, so we're not even going to feel the moment. You guys have been here before. You're supposed to win. All of the pressure is on you. And in the past, the Raptors haven't handled that as well as as maybe you would think from a number one seed. So if, if that matchup comes to fruition... Like, that could be really good for the Cavs in their chances of getting back to the finals. Yeah, jeez. Uh, I mean, I guess I, I hadn't looked at that. Um, I, I think what's interesting, you've seen this out there a little bit, that um, you could look at the at the first round in the East and make a case for for upset possibilities in every every round. Yeah, yeah you could. Um, with, you know, I mean, with history saying that that the Cavs aren't going to lose just because LeBron has never lost a, a first round series and hasn't lost a game in the first round in, in years. I mean, like a really long time. Um, so obviously that would be an upset of, of mythic proportions, but, but yeah. Uh, so, so, so there, there's potential for these upsets and um, Toronto does have to prove that they can do it. Uh, I, I do think that Toronto, well, I think that Toronto, um, I, I like that their two best players are veterans, uh, whereas mm-hmm. the Sixers' best players are not. Yep. And and so I, I do think that would matter. I would pick Toronto in a series over the Sixers. Um, I'm not buying uh, the, the pickups that, that you discussed. Um, I guess we'll see on Friday uh, if I change my mind, but... Um, <laughs> I just don't, I don't see that yet. I still see the Sixers as being a, a year or two away, but mm-hmm. they've they've had a great year, man. I mean, they they really have. Um, they got a lot to be proud proud of. 
I think that's a fair point that you bring up. I mean, there are steps that that a lot of teams have to take, right? And one step is just getting into the postseason, getting a taste of that, and then the following year win a playoff series, then the following year win another playoff series. I mean, even the Golden State Warriors went through that sort of thing. It's rare when you have a team go from lottery, lottery, lottery into Eastern Conference Championship contender or something along those lines. Now, it happened with the Cavs, but that's because LeBron came back and they traded for Kevin Love. If you're building it the way that Philly has, usually there are steps that you have to climb on the ladder of the postseason before you really advance far. So I can understand where you're coming from with that. I just think it would be really interesting, a very compelling second-round matchup, if if that's what it came down to, for sure. Um, what do you make of uh, looking at the standings? You know, you've got Washington in the number six spot. You've got the Cavs in the three spot. What do you make of uh, Sadoransky from Washington saying that they don't want LeBron? Well, I, I mean, I appreciated that because I feel like, um, you know, Beal and, and Wall have lost their minds uh, <laughs> with, with what they have said. You know, everything from accusing the Cavs of, of tanking last year to avoid playing the Wizards uh-huh. uh, at some round of the playoffs, um, to, to just all the different things you've seen from between those two teams in the regular season. Like, there's just uh, the, the braggadocio from a Wizards team that has done literally nothing, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, especially against LeBron, is, is, is shocking. Yep. And I just, from a Wizards perspective, I thought it was nice to see someone say, just bring up <laughs> that that's maybe not the guy that, that you want to see. Um, and, and even still, you still hear this stuff about how the, you know, the, the, the Wizards, they just really want the, they want the Cavs, they want the Cavs. Well, okay, uh, but the Wizards have their own problems right now. Yep. They're only a game up on the Heat for uh, six. You know, they could be falling down to that seventh seed. Um, or even the eighth seed. I mean, they're only a game out. Like, Miami and Milwaukee are tied. So, you know, Washington could wind up in the eighth seed having to go to Toronto for game one. So, um, you know, they've got their own issues. The Cavs, they've won three in a row. They've won eight of their last nine, Joe. Um, A good chunk of that has been with uh, Larry Drew as the acting head coach. Ty Lue was in the locker room once again last night. It was the second straight home game where he was visible. He was watching from the coach's office. He was able to interact with some of the players. He looks different. He looks happier. He said he was sleeping better the other night when I had a brief conversation with him. Um, so it looks like he's getting closer and closer to returning. When he does... What do you think the biggest questions are that face this team when that happens going into the postseason? Well, I, I think um, what everyone's going to be looking for is they're going to be, again, looking to how he handles himself in the huddles yeah. um, and, and how, he, how he runs uh, the team from a, from a rotational standpoint. Mm. I think it's been really hard to argue with how Larry Drew has worked the guys that he's had. I thought, the, I thought the one mistake was, um, or, the, or the one interesting thing was, that there was a lineup that seemed strange, and now I'm trying to remember uh, when it was. I, I can't remember if it was the Heat game right in like, the lineup, 
Mm-hmm. Um, but there, there, was, there was one game where uh, they played... Oh, God, what did they do? Oh, oh well, they played... I think they played uh, Jeff Green. Yes. And... and um, Oh yeah, I mean, just the, the, this idea of starting Jeff Green when they when they didn't have to did, didn't have to. Um, outside of that, I mean, when Larry has gone to his bench, who he's used, how he's used Jr. Um, and then not to mention the wins and the losses. You know, the, the, those are all good things. Now, Larry's not the reason that they've won these games, as you pointed out. It's it's Kevin. I mean, you know, Kevin's back. They're playing mm-hmm. more like themselves. Um, LeBron doesn't have to do it entirely on his own, and and so it's been nice. Um, but the you know to use my favorite saying, like the trains have been running on time. Yes. Um, and there's just been things have been a lot calmer. They've been a lot more uh, seamless. And you know, I mean, it's it's probably because there's a guy making the decisions who doesn't feel awful inside of his own body, and so. You just want, when Ty comes back, you want to make sure that, that those same things are happening, that he's not, um, you know, giving you puzzling lineups and puzzling rotation stuff, uh, and that proper adjustments are made, um, and that he's just kind of back to himself. And I think, you know, it'll take a game or two uh, to make sure that that's right, but, but once it is, I think everybody will be fine. I think the other thing that's really, really hard when assessing Ty in the regular season, Joe, I got the sense that... Throughout the course of the regular season, Ty was using it to kind of experiment. See what he had, see what he could go with, see what worked and what didn't work. And I think to some degree, not that he was okay with losing, but but if he found answers, even when it came in a loss, um, I think he valued that. Um, because I think he wanted as many answers as possible with, with his rotations, even if they were questionable at times. There were times during the regular season where it seemed like he should have gone away from Tristan Thompson, honestly, and I thought maybe he should have gone away from J.R. Smith. Um, but we've talked about the delicate nature of that, and I think you're seeing part of the reason with the way that Tristan Thompson's played lately, the way that J.R. Smith has played since coming off the bench, you're starting to see why he continued to stick with those guys and why he never lost confidence in them because he understands how valuable they are to the long-term goal. Maybe in the short term, it wasn't best for the Cavs, but in the long term, it probably was. So I think it's hard to assess what he did in the regular season because I honestly think there was a lot of experimenting going on because he was asking the same questions that everybody else was within the organization. Yeah, I mean, I think, um, and I, I also think that, that he saw probably a lot of what we saw, and, and the one thing that we're kind of not, we just don't spend enough time giving him credit or the benefit of the doubt of, of was just how tied his hands were politically um, yeah. in terms of, like, guys on contract yeah. and, and, you know, who, I mean, yeah, I, it's been written, um, I think Terry Pluto had it the other, like just the way he put it in his Sunday notes that it became clear, um, that Jose Calderon should have been playing over Isaiah Thomas. Mm-hmm. And you can't do that. Right. You know, he just couldn't do that. Um, I, I, I actually, I don't buy the, <laughs> I don't buy the JR part. Um, I, I, 
it, it is true that Ty stuck with him for most of the year. Right. However, I believe they did lose confidence in him hmm. um, because they pulled they 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 pulled him out of the starting lineup. Yeah. Um, and, and he's not going back. Uh, at least I don't think he is. Um, but if he does, I think it's because of this. I think he has. Um, you've noticed a difference in him. Um, not only are his numbers good over the last few games, which he's done that a couple times this year, but I just think the effort and attention to detail is there. I think he's closer to where he's supposed to be standing on defense. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he's. I think he's been. You know, I, I hate the word aggressive. You know, I think it's a cliche, but I just think I think he's been more present and and been more maybe assertive uh, with with how he plays offensively. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so, but it kind of goes back into, I feel like they did give up on him, and he uh, took advantage of some injuries and kind of made them pay attention to him again, um, which is which is good to see. And that also just plays into, um, again, what we were saying with Ty, that uh, his hands were tied politically, but then when you also know how thick he was, mm-hmm. and then you watched within the framework of, what the, uh, okay, so, so you know that he's got to play certain guys, right? Um, but then there was just things that he like he was he just there were adjustments he could have made within that framework that he didn't, and so you just wonder how much of that was because he wasn't feeling well, how much of that was because of just how tied his hands were, how much of it was out of frustration. Um, it could have been all three things, uh, but that just goes back to. You know, that's what everyone's going to be looking at and looking at him for when he returns is just how sharp is he? Um, is he the tie that guided these guys to the last two finals? And I suspect that he will, will be. And I suspect a month from now, um, we'll still be talking playoff basketball and we won't be talking about this. What do you think will be different with the Cavs when Ty comes back, if anything? Well, so Chris, I, I, I don't think that there's going to be a whole lot of, of difference. Um, from uh, just what we see with them uh, when you're comparing a regular season that has a whole lot to do with him. Gotcha. Um, okay. I just think, you know, I just think they're playing better. I think Kevin's back. And yeah. I think Ty was right when he said this team is better after the trades. I think that's true. Um, but it, they were still missing Kevin when all those guys got here. So now those yeah. guys are here. Kevin's here. Kevin's really good. They're just playing closer to, to Cavs basketball than they have been. Um, but but there is a different answer to your question, which is the playoffs are so close that we are going to see some differences. And mainly what you're going to see is um, because of there being time in between series and time in between games, Ty's going to take a much uh, more active role in game planning, particularly on the defensive side. And that is not even a knock on his assistants, or it's not because his assistants aren't capable. It's just that is the nature of the playoffs. There's mm-hmm. more time time for this. And this is what Ty does really well. This is like his number one strength, um, is, is uh, devising game plans to defend and take away the other team's best player. So you're going to see that come uh, 10 days. 
uh, or however much longer we have until the playoffs start, and that's going to be a big difference. The one thing that I hope uh, maybe Ty gets from from this time away, and, and maybe he can take from Larry Drew, is I feel like Larry Drew has been really, really flexible. And within the game, I feel like he can read what his team needs. Um, and I think he's done a good job of not sticking to a specific rotation um, and being married to that. Uh, it was the other night against, who the heck was it? Charlotte. In Charlotte, he even said, you know, we had this set idea of how much we wanted to play J.R. Smith going into the game. But he was giving us so much value that we played him way more than we anticipated. And then you talk about uh, the other game against New Orleans when the Cavs felt like they needed some energy, they needed a burst of energy. They were able to use Tristan Thompson for maybe longer than they anticipated because they thought the matchup was better in his favor as opposed to Larry Nance Jr. And even though Larry Drew didn't go to Jose Calderon, he contemplated at halftime of that game maybe possibly going to him because of his energy, because of his feistiness on the defensive end. I just feel like that flexibility is something that maybe had been missing at times throughout the course of the regular season with Ty. And again, maybe it goes back to all of the things that we talked about. But but I think that is a valuable asset that Larry Drew has brought over the last couple of games, that, that he's willing to go away from guys and he's willing to dust off other guys in certain situations just because he feels like the matchup's better for it. Yeah, I, I mean... He's, um, it's been good. It's, it's been really good. Uh, you know, I mean, like, even, you know, the, 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 the toughest, closest game against the best opponent that they had was the, the Raptor game. Right. Um, and they were, you know, they gave up 79 in the first half. They were down by 15 in the third quarter. Um, and they, they came back and won. You, know, you didn't really assign a whole lot of credit to Larry for that, um, but there was obviously something, some adjustment that, that had to be made. Um, otherwise, I feel like the Cavs have been winning fairly comfortably in some of these games, so you haven't, you haven't really had it like, you know, the game's on the line, there's a play coming out of the side, you mm-hmm. know, what is it? That kind of, so those are kind of, kind of some of the things that you judge uh, a head coach by, but you know, you can't really say enough uh, just about the overall job. I mean, again, Ty's been out. They've won eight of nine. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, that's incredible. Yep. Um, it's really a testament just to, I think, his experience um, and, and just he's been around the league so long. I mean, yes, he has LeBron. That covers up a lot of stuff. Um, but it's it's been great. I, I do want to say, um, you know, I, I love that he mentions the other night bringing Jose off the bench without George Hill getting hurt. And my question would be, who was he going to get get for Calderon? <laughs> right, right. You know. Maybe, it, maybe well, it would have been George Hill if George didn't start with, what, four made shots in the first six minutes before his ankle turned? Something like that? Yeah, I guess. I mean, maybe. I, I don't know. Or maybe, I mean, Rodney Hood was bad in the first half, I think, right. that night. Um you know, Clarkson was bad in the first half that night. Uh, he was great in the second half. So maybe one of those. But, but yeah, you know, it, just, that's an easy one to say. Um, but I don't know. We'll see. We'll see how long George is out. We'll see how long Jose stays in there. And, and um, 
you know, if, if the, I just don't see any way that Jose gets in there come playoff time. Yeah. Um, but it's just what a what a phenomenon to have this guy who is supposed to be about at the end of his career. Who, mm-hmm. uh, he, he signs here right away, and the Cavs just get roasted for doing that. <laughs> and um, <laughs> they've been they've been great. It's the Wine and Gold Talk podcast. We're recording this uh, around 7 o'clock on Monday night. Chris Fedor, Joe Varden with you. Earlier, uh, we asked for questions on Twitter for our Q&A session, and we will get to those questions right after this. Did you know that one in six Northeast Ohioans struggle with hunger? Many people in Northeast Ohio are forced to make tough choices. Unexpected expenses, prescription costs, and rising heat costs are all things that can prevent people from being able to put food on the table, and they are forced to make tough decisions, which often results in hunger. But you can help. Each dollar that you donate to the Harvest for Hunger campaign will result in four meals. So donate today by visiting harvestforhunger.org. Help feed your neighbors. Cleveland.com is a sponsor of the Greater Cleveland Food Bank's Harvest for Hunger campaign. All right, welcome back. Uh, Joe, you ready for some questions? We got some that came in on Twitter earlier today. Yeah, let's do it. All right. Um, This one comes from Jordan. He says, is recent defensive rating only a result of playing tanking teams or do you think the way that the Cavs have shown improvements on defense is sustainable? So they played a really nice game, I thought, against the Pelicans. Um, yeah. I, I thought they really did a good job on Anthony Davis. Um, you know, Drew Holiday got loose there in the second half, uh, particularly in the fourth quarter. But uh, they, they made him work, especially early on, um, to kind of get his buckets. And, so, and also, you know, he was doing it with George Hill out. Um, so, so I thought that was the most important uh, the important step they've taken from a defensive perspective. Um, as we've kind of stated, I am just not a believer in this team defensively. Yep. I don't think they're capable of good defense. Um, I think they're capable of like not embarrassing defense. <laughs> so if that's if that's the question that you're asking, I think they can get there. I think they can be like a 105, 106 rated team. Yeah. Um, I think they can stay out of the 111s, the 110s, 112s um, as we move along. I think they can do that. Uh, but, you know, giving up 87 to Dallas, that just, that, that flatly just doesn't count. I mean, right. they gave, they gave six minutes to their bottom six guys in the fourth quarter with the game on the line. So, yeah. no, that, that, you throw that one out. I think it's funny, too, that this question comes in because the Cavs were so bad defensively for such a long stretch of this regular season that any semblance of positivity is like, hey, look, the Cavs are defending again. And I'm looking at the numbers right here over the last nine games, and this goes to your point, over the last nine games, the Cavs are still defensive rating of 108.7. So... It's not anything that's really respectable, but given where they started and what fans are used to seeing from them, you're kind of like, hey, this is better defense that they're playing, when really, it's not all that much better. Well, where, what is the, uh, as you have in front of you, what, what, what is that ranking? So, 108 point whatever, what, what is that rank? That is 20th. Yeah, I mean, right, so that's like, <laughs> again, that's... That's about like what we're talking about. Yes. Just, just, just kind of be there and score a bunch of points like you have been, and that 
that should be enough to, to last you a while. Yes. Um, until you can really figure this thing out. And that's, that's going to be about all they can do. Um, they made improvements personnel wise defensively. I think, I think Larry helps them defensively. Mm-hmm. I think, I think George Hill, um, is not the defender that he was. And at the same time, he's also still, I think, uh, skill wise much better than Isaiah Thomas or Derrick Rose out there. Um, so he's better, I guess. And then, you know, Jordan Clarkson coming off the bench is, is a, is probably a better on ball defender than, you know, I, I don't know, whether it was Calderon or, I mean, that the coaches complained a lot about Dwayne. I, I just, I, I don't think that was fair. I thought Dwayne was playing pretty well. Mm-hmm. But, but, uh, uh, you know, and then Rodney Hood, I mean, he's, he's long. Uh, so I, they're, they're better. Uh, but they're not, they're not great. They're never going to be top 10. They'll be top 10 when there's only 16 teams left. And then when there's only, you know, <laughs> eight teams, they'll be in the top eight. It'll be great. Right. Uh, and then we'll see if they make it beyond that. And on the opposite side of that, over the last nine games, the Cavs have won eight of those nine games. In terms of offensive rating, they are number one over the last nine games with an offensive rating of 114.3. So if the offense continues to be supercharged, led by LeBron, they can afford to give up 110, maybe even 115 points in a playoff game coming up. And they have enough offensive firepower to still be able to win that game. No doubt, man. And that's that's the thing, you know, that's what we've been saying all along, yep. you and I, is just that, that this is an offensive team. That's who they are. Uh, that, that, like, defense is not anywhere. They, they didn't come into this thing wanting to be good defensively. The effort they put out there in 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 October and November um, defensively w- showed you what they thought of it. Um, and then when Isaiah came back, they you saw how, just how flawed this team would be on that end. Um, but they've always been able to score. They've been able to score no matter who is the point guard. They've been able to score no matter whether Kevin's out for a month with a or two months or whatever it was with a broken hand. They've always been able to score, and I actually didn't realize that that over the last nine games they're actually number one. Yep. Um, part of that is that the entire Warrior team is out. Right. <laughs> uh, so you know, so maybe they'd be two, but still, man, that's way way up there, obviously. And Kevin's played in all but one of those games, um, so you know, I think there is a lot to look forward to from an offensive standpoint, and therefore, potentially, what you got coming in the playoffs. Two more questions before we get out of here. Uh, This one comes from Time to See. He says, hey, Justin. (laughs) I don't know who Justin is, but... Okay. (laughs) He says, hey, Justin, can I have your thoughts? Maybe you're Justin Varden, apparently. I don't know. Um, Is that like if you, like, cross, like, like Joe and Chris? I don't don't know where the I-N comes in, but sure. Something like that. Hey, Justin. Can I have your thoughts on the Cavs winning more games than they did last year, given everything that's happened, and the fact that by the standings and games left, the Brooklyn pick will finish no lower than eighth, which seems to be amazing. Thanks. Okay, so I don't remember how many games they won last year. Was it 52? I am pulling that up right now. 
so Boston um, won 53 last year. So there would have been 52. Okay, so if the Cavs win out, uh, then they reach that win total of last year, which would be incredible. 51. Uh, 51 last year. Oh, they, they won 51. Okay, yeah. so they could, they could surpass that. If they run the table here and win these last five, uh, it would mean that they that they finished on a what a seven an eight game winning streak. Mm-hmm. Um, that would just be amazing. Uh, you you know you should that should boost LeBron's MVP credentials like everything. Like that would be great considering how bad of how up and down of a year that's been. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that even if they get to fifty, which means they only need to win three of the next five. Um, I think that is a heck of an accomplishment. Um, they traded Kyrie Irving and they didn't replace him. Right. You know, like that's that's something, man. And with all the drama going on around here, like this this year is turning out better than it could have been um, in the regular season. The Brooklyn pick, you know, we've talked uh, at length about that. Um, if it's eight, I, I don't know. I mean, you know, you could get lucky there. You know, you never know exactly quite. Um, who's going to hit and who isn't. I mean, Donovan right. Mitchell went 14th in the draft, and he's awesome. You know, who wouldn't want him? Um, but I think you. I think if you can get closer to the top six, yeah. you've got a better chance of not missing on that pick. I think it's an awesome draft, super deep draft with a lot of guys that should make you excited. But I'd rather be closer to six there than, than eight. Is there somebody that you've watched that you really like that you think would be great for the Cavs, no matter where they pick? Um, I, well, you know, as we talk about, like, I, I love the idea of Trey Young, um, mm-hmm. because I, I, you know, they, they kind of have to start over at point guard. Um, they might have to do that. I think playing, pairing him with or without LeBron makes a ton of sense to me. Um, I feel like he, I feel like when, when the big, whatever conference that is, it used to be 12 teams. I think they're even still called the big 12. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they, um, w- when the conference adjusted to him, they basically just understood that, uh, they were going to make somebody else on the Sooners beat them. Right. Um, and, and, and I think, you know, what you saw more about uh, in terms of his game from earlier on in the year, I think that's more the player he is. I think there'll be more spacing in the NBA for him, mm-hmm. um, and he's a great passer. So that that's who I that's who I would like. I, I don't know that the Cavs love him, um, so I've kind of prepared myself that that's not the direction they'll go. Okay. Um, I, I'm just I am concerned about Michael Porter. I'm concerned about that back. Uh, yeah. I have no. I have no medical reports in front of me. Uh, the Cavs scouts have access to all that stuff. I know they like him. Um, I just, that one concerns me, and, and I, I would prefer that uh, they, they go with a, a dynamic scorer that can make an impact right away who does not have health issues. Um, but, you know, I mean, that Kyrie Irving had major health issues coming in, right. and he turned he turned out okay, so... You know, if it's if Porter's back's all right, then fine. But but otherwise, I mean, yeah, you know, the, the, there's a number of players you can go with there. 
And I'm with you. I think it would be better for the Cavs, obviously, if they had pick one through six or something along those lines. But I was talking to somebody uh, the other night uh, before the game, and um, they were saying that, that in this year's draft, and if you look ahead to next year's draft, and obviously front offices already start thinking about those kinds of things and start scouting ahead, uh, they believe uh, the guy that could go... Uh, in the top three next year um, will be as good as the guy that maybe the Cavs could get extending it all the way to eight and maybe even 10 because they feel like the 2019 draft is looking a little bit weaker than this year's. And they were wondering if there are some fringe guys in the top 10 for this year that may actually hold off on declaring and stay in school because they have a better chance of going top five next year. So I think that's going to be interesting to follow to see if that happens. Well, it's funny uh, just as, uh, you know, to, to show how uh, clueless I can be sometimes or, or how distracted I can be sometimes. I was sitting there the other, uh, last night during the first quarter and something came up on Twitter that says, uh, you know, bombshell. Luka Doncic, uh, you know, says he's he's going to uh, that he's staying in Europe, oh. and I'm just like, what? You know, so <laughs> I, I click on this thing immediately. I get my headphones out, plug it into my computer. Like it was like it was supposed to be some video of him, you know, holding a press conference, and and they even the, the makers of this video went so far as to uh, kind of dub a like an Eastern European voice into this thing. And I'm like, I, this is this is weird. And so then of course, you do a quick Google search, and there's no mention of this whatsoever. And then I'll be damned. I look up, and I'm like, oh, yes, it's April 1st. <laughs> uh, I hate April Fool's Day. I hate it. That's funny. That's funny. Um, I mean, he could go number one, right? Like, that oh, kid's he's, tearing he's it up. He's that, yeah, gosh, what, you know. That, that's the guy you want. <laughs> yeah. That's the guy you want out of this draft. I'll tell you that. All right. Uh, final question before we get out of here. Uh, Joey says, which eight or nine players do you see playing when the real season begins for the Cavs? Well, I mean, that, you know, I'm, that's, I'm glad Ty is nice, healthy, and rested because it's going to take uh, quite a bit of brain power to figure this one out. Um, <laughs> the, the, they have... Uh, they have 10 guys that I think they're comfortable playing. Yep. Um, you know, they've had to use like 12 or 13 of them. Uh, but if you figure LeBron, Kevin, and... Um, George Hill. If you, fig- if, if you figure, yeah, LeBron, Kevin, and George Hill, um, Kyle Corver and Jeff Green and Jordan Clarkson, mm-hmm. uh, there's six for you. Yep. Now, um, you know, they'll probably start with, with Rodney Hood and, and, and Larry Nance. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's eight. Yep. So, so now you're talking about Tristan. You're talking about JR. Yep. Well, wait a minute. That's 10. <laughs> um, so right now, like, so okay. So right away, you, you're either going to not play someone who has been producing for you uh, since you've had your hands on them. Mm-hmm. Or, or uh, you're not going to play somebody who started for you in the last three finals. Oof. That's that's crazy. 
um, un- unless they just p- go with a bigger rotation than they're used to. So right. I don't know. I I I, I honestly, I mean, we get the question all the time on here. I get it on Hey Joe. Um, it comes up all the time on the Facebook Live stuff that we do, and I don't think there's a real answer I, uh, that that anybody not named Ty Lue knows. Yep. And I'm not even sure he knows, man, because if if you if he's going to force himself to play eight, which he won't do until you know the very latest rounds of the playoffs. Mm-hmm. So even if he's going to force himself to play nine, who who are you sitting out of that group? I know. Well, um, no, seriously, who are you sitting out of that group? I think. I think it's mm. ah, it's so difficult. I go back and forth on this, but I think Tristan Thompson versus Larry Nance Jr. is like the swing one, right? It's like, which guy do you think is better for the specific matchup? Because uh-huh. I think the Cavs feel like they can get away at times with Kevin Love at the five or even Jeff Green at the five. So it's Nance Jr. versus Tristan Thompson as the guy that I think would get the boot depending on the matchup. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, I don't think Larry's been great lately, mm. and obviously Tristan is, is turning some heads uh, in a positive direction. Agreed. Not that he not that he was fantastic against the uh, the, the Mavericks because he wasn't, but um, the, the other night against New Orleans, he was awesome. And uh, so I think you're right. I think that actually could be the swing one. I mean, anybody who suggests that Jeff Green is on the bubble, you're not watching this team. Um, they use him in so many different ways. Yep. That guy's going to play. Um, I think, as we said at the top of this podcast, I think Jr. has played his way back into the good graces. Um, and, you know, you are. I'm kind of wondering if what we're seeing out of him is different this time, if he means it. Um, so I think he's back in there. So yeah, I think that's the right one. I think it's the Tristan Nance swing vote there. I mean, I think the other thing with Jr. is number one in the back of your mind, you know he can go um, third quarter game seven of the NBA Finals in 2016 for you, where he just rips off points in bunches and he shifts the complexion of the game. And he did that for the Cavs um, a couple of times during this stretch where they've won eight of nine. So knowing that he's capable of that, it's so hard to move away from that um, because you need that, especially with the way that this team is constructed to win with offense and win with three-pointers. And I agree with you on Jeff Green. Like he In the playoffs, it seems like he's going to be the J.R. Smith of the last couple of years where if it's DeRozan, that's Jeff Green. If it's James Harden, that's Jeff Green. Like There are a variety of dudes that he has guarded this year from point guards to centers, and the Cavs love that defensive versatility, and there's no way that uh, they feel comfortable enough with anybody else not named LeBron James to have that kind of role for the Cavs. Right, and and, um, I I saw this the other day, and I don't remember the exact numbers, um, so I'll just be speaking generally, but LeBron's numbers with Jeff Green on the court, especially his plus-minus, is like through the roof. Oh. Uh, Or maybe it's his rating. I think it's his net rating. It's through the roof, Mm -hmm. and then LeBron, without Jeff Green on the floor, it's it's fairly pedestrian. Hmm. Um, So, and and I know that LeBron and Corver share a similar relationship there, but, um, you know, Green's another one, and it's because he does all the things you just said. I mean, um, he's a guy who's as tall as LeBron, who's, like, almost as quick as him, um, at least when you're talking about transition. 
Yep. Uh, and, and, and so, you know, those two guys together running the floor, that's pretty good. All right, buddy. Good stuff. Should be a very interesting week for the Cavs, that's for sure. Yep, looking forward to it.